Coming up on episode 198 of Wheel Bearings, we have a full garage this week. In the news, Lotus is selling the tooling for building the Elise. Tesla is eventually going to start shipping vehicles from its new plant in Texas. But for anybody inside of Texas that wants to buy one of those vehicles, it's going to have to be shipped out of the state first, sold there, and then brought back in. We also discussed Tesla's decision to drop radar, and Mazda has discontinued the CX-3 and the 6 sedan in North America. And we've wrapped it all up with some listener questions, all coming up right now on Wheel Bearings number 198. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Welcome to episode 198 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abu Al Samad from Guidehouse Insights. I am Nicole Wakeland from Auto Vital. I am Roberto Baldwin from Let's Say Engadget this week. All right. So, Nicole. Yes. What have you been doing this week? I've been driving several cars this week. <laughs> I started out with a gigantic Nissan Armada, the 2021 Nissan Armada. In the fancy platinum trim. It's, it's um, comparatively gigantic by Nissan standards. It's it, well, you know what? It just I don't care what the actual dimensions are, but it feels huge. Like you literally feel like you're driving a tank, which I guess is good. If you've got your family on board, you kind of feel like someone could smack into you and they just go boing and bounce off. You'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. Was that a Mack truck? Didn't notice. Like it feels <laughs> so it feels very safe in this very, very enclosed. I like it. I like the Armada. And I think the inside of it is um, fantastic. There's something interesting about the, you know, it's big, it's bold, it's, it's a beefy car, but you get inside and everything is so beautiful. Like I had the platinum trim, which is way up there. Um, 
And it's, I mean, you do feel like you could, again, tow a house off a foundation. Uh, there's no, no doubt that it can do every kind of capable thing that you might possibly want to do. Um, and they made some updates this year. I guess it would be considered what, like a refresh. There's a little bit of a styling update and it does, it was looking a little old, a little like last year's news for a while. And it does look a little more modern now, a little bit more with it. Um, and I love the interior of this. It's, it's, it's not an inexpensive car. It's almost $70,000 and you want it to look like a $70,000 vehicle. And it does, it looks it and it feels it and it's super comfortable and super roomy. So I was, I was a fan of the Armada. I, I would say plus one, if you're looking for a vehicle that has the capability to tow, hold a ton of cargo and have your family inside and comfortably so you don't feel like you know the kids in the second row will not be able to touch each other if you put them in car seats and you know across from each other <laughs> they won't even be able to attempt to walk you know put their arm across the imaginary center line they can't even reach it um so yeah i was i like the armada so last time you had the suburban the chevy yes. suburban yeah yeah you know, if you were in the market for a full-size body on a frame suv like a you know a a true SUV, not a crossover thing. Right. Yeah. You know, which, I mean, well, first of all, I forget how much was the Suburban? Do you remember? Oh, I don't remember the Suburban's pricing off the top of my head. I feel like it was more than this, but I also remember the Suburban I had had the diesel engine. You don't have a diesel in this. That's true. So, you, so you've got a level of, that's a pretty big change, you know? So, and I remember it being a pricey addition to the Suburban. Um, so if you strip that out, let's say we were just talking gas powertrain versus gas powertrain. Um, I think I, it's hard because the Suburban is more has been more recently redone. It, it feels um, slicker and more refined. I don't know that driving wise it does just in terms of the interior impression. I mean, these are vehicles that you're if you're getting something this big with this kind of seating, you're you're carrying a family a lot. Like, why would you bother getting something this big if you're if your family isn't in there and you aren't doing a lot of road trips or, you know, weekend adventures to the cabin or something? Um, and I think. The Armada has a nice combination of feeling upscale, but also feeling like your kids aren't going to destroy it in two seconds. It has a certain durability to it. And as far as driving them both, what I was saying in the beginning, the Armada just really, it feels tough. It feels substantial. Not that the Suburban doesn't, but the Armada feels more substantial to me than that. So I think despite it not having been all new for quite a while with a little bit of a facelift that they did, I think I would go Armada. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Armada uh, along with the infinity QX 80 are both based on the, the Nissan patrol, which is an SUV that they've been selling overseas for a long time. Um, and, and the current generation of the patrol, which is basically what they're still building now that actually debuted in early 2010. So this thing is, you know, more than 11 years old, this current generation. It's gotten, you know, several in, in, uh, you know, updates along the way, but it's still the same basic vehicle they launched over a decade ago. And, you know, it doesn't look fundamentally different. Uh, you know, the, the most different now is when they refreshed the QX80 a year or two ago, you know, uh, after they launched the arm, after they launched this generation of the Armada in 2016, a couple of years later, they refreshed the QX80 to kind of separate it a little more visually. It's got a different grill, different lighting, things like that. But, you know, this this is really kind of an old vehicle. It um, is. and But it, it doesn't. I feel like just the little tweaks they made this year, the styling tweaks, mm -hmm. 
inside and out were just enough that you don't look at it and think, oh, this is an old Nissan product. It, it just doesn't feel, it felt like that to me last year. Last year, you kind of looked and went, this sucker's old. Now <laughs> it, it has a little bit of an update so you don't feel it. And by the way, I went and dug out the Monroni for that Chevy Suburban that I was driving last week. So the Armada that I have is $68,250, which is not cheap. The Suburban was $82,465. That's a significant price difference. Huge price difference. So you do get the diesel in there, which um, I can't find the pricing of the diesel. So, I mean, there's that. But that's a big price difference. Like for a more updated, last time it was all new was more recent vehicle. Are you willing to pay 70, like 20 grand? You know, or not 20 grand. Math is hard. $12,000? <laughs> Whatever. It's early on a Sunday for me. So, um I, I still think I go with Armada, which is not normally like me. Normally, I'm going to go for the one that's been more recently updated because it feels like the changes are so significant that when you compare something that's as old as the Armada is to something newer, it really, really looks it. I don't feel like it looks it or feels it anymore. I feel it, especially that don't underestimate how much just changing small things in a car, changing the grill a little bit, changing the dash a little bit suddenly gets rid of the sort of old vibe of it. You don't even realize how much that makes a difference. And it does. Yeah. Well, I think and Nissan really needs to do this because they've been in, you know, they've been in trouble financially and, and even their, their, you know, everyone feels like they've sort of fallen off their sort of mid premium, you know, platform. You know, if, you can get Nissan's as rental cars and that's not, you know, and for, you know, that that's hurt there. That's hurt. That's hurt. You know, the Nissan brand. And I think if, if they can, if they can refresh things without doing big, huge changes, I mean, Toyota does this all the time and Toyota, mm -hmm. Toyota continues to dominate in so many markets. Um, if Nissan can do the same thing, that's good for them because they really, really, really need to get people to think, Oh, these cars aren't, you know, 10, 15 years old uh, anymore. These are actually new cars. At least they look new and they feel new, regardless of whether or not the uh, what's going on underneath is new. Right. It, it makes a first impression now that doesn't feel like an older car. It makes a first impression that feels like a, a modern, recently updated car, despite the fact that it's not a lot of it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially you know, that the new screen, the new touchscreen they have, you know, it's much larger than before. Um you know, the last Armada I drove a couple of years ago, or maybe about, about a year and a half ago, it still had the old touchscreen, you know, and, and something I've complained about for a long time with Nissan's is that they, they sourced really terrible displays. You know, the displays, <laughs> the, the screens they used were just awful. You know, they were yeah. dim, low contrast, uh, you know, they, they didn't, they did not look good. Um, you know, and, you know, they suffered problems with glare and if you wore polarized sunglasses, you know, they kind of disappeared. Uh, so, you know, this new one, it's, you know, it looks like it's got a much better display. How, how was the display in this one? Actually, you can notice a difference. That's a large part of what makes the inside of the Armada feel more updated. The old display was fussier, not as clear, not as crisp. Everything, when you sit down and you look at that dashboard feels cleaner, more refined, more modern. And that's a huge, it's a huge difference. You know, we all use tech every day and that infotainment screen, that's all tech. And, you know, we're getting new phones every two years and new whatever, you know, things have a very short shelf life in the tech world before they're just, they're obsolete or they look that way. Uh, the old Armada looked that way when you looked at that dashboard. Now the screen is very crisp, very clear. Everything is 
it, it, I, like I said, it's, I know it's not an all new, but it feels so greatly changed for the small number of changes that they made. Yeah, I mean, and I've, I've always liked the, the driving dynamics of the Armada. You know, I always thought, you know, for a big, heavy SUV like that, it actually had pretty decent ride quality and, and handling. Um, I, you know, when they first launched this, the, the patrol-based Armada here in the U.S. a few years back, they did a drive program out in, uh, in Carmel. And, you know, I spent some time driving it out there, and, you know, I was, I was quite impressed with it at the time. Yeah, it's it's that it's hard to make a really a truly a huge SUV feel anything feel good to drive, feel sort of light in its feet, feel like it's substantial enough to do what you need it to do capability wise, but still not feel unwieldy and uncomfortable and just like so heavy. You know, you change lanes and you wait for it to swing along with you. <laughs> and some of them do that, you know, and this one, you know, you change lanes. I was driving it in uh, pretty heavy traffic and in, in city traffic in Boston. And it was, you know, tight lanes, lots of traffic. And you can you can sort of weave in and out as you need to without feeling like, oh, gosh, this is uh, it's too heavy uh i can't manage these turns i can't manage these corners it's it's really a, a great suv to drive i enjoyed driving it i enjoyed the look of it and i really like the updates that they did so that was my my overall um, and now i now i've moved from giant heavy suv to something a little more friendly to <laughs> <laughs> what was that now i am in uh this week i am in a subaru forester which is now I'm driving, you know, the the poster child brand for New England. Like you can't live here and not have a Subaru and I've never owned one. So I feel like I'm covering my bases every time I get a press car. I'm like, look, I'm driving one for a week, guys. I'm good. <laughs> Does it come with a dog? Because I feel like every Subaru needs to come with a like a lab or, it <laughs> or a retriever or, disappointed. Or, 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 or a box of puppies. You know? A box, box of puppies. Of puppies. No dog, no box of puppies. I felt a little cheated, but you know, I won't let that get in the way, you know. Um, but I the, like this one. I like the, it. The, the last auto show I was at, yeah, I think that all of us, that any of us were at, was the, <laughs> the Chicago Auto Show last year, beginning of February last year. And the, the highlight of that show, bar none, you know, because there's usually not a whole lot of news in just the Chicago show. Mm -hmm. The highlight of the show was clearly the Subaru Puppy Corral. I mean, it's, it, they, they every American show they have the puppy corral and every American show you're like okay I got to look at do this and I got to do this and I got to go write about this and I got to take pictures of this and I, oh my god puppies yes <laughs> yeah. like everything comes it's like I have this really good debut I have to go look at this oh wait and they do like yeah and what always cracks me up is like there's you know not like everyone's super formally dressed but some people are like in suits and skirts and stuff and you're all being like professional businessy people and then they're like sitting on the floor in a pile. <laughs> of puppies it's like that's okay my suit's covered with dog hair now no big deal <laughs> yeah it's worth it the thing with subaru is that they have standard all-wheel drive they have that capability they're not those the the capability that like i'm going to go rock crawl up a mountain but they're enough that you can really do a little bit off-road you can but then you can easily go on city streets and they don't feel like they're off-road vehicles. That's what I like about Subaru because there's so many off-road worthy cars that once you put them on the pavement, they're so jarring, so bouncy. So the suspension system is just too tailored for off-roading. So the minute you have to take that car into the office, your teeth are rattling every bump you go over in the road. And that's never fun. Subaru does a phenomenal job of making it so you can 
take it in the dirt. You can take it off road. You can have a little fun with it. But then when you drive it to work on Monday morning, you're, you know, filling stay in your, in your teeth. It's, and that's what the Forester does. And it, and it has more room than, you know, than some other crossovers. It has that sort of, I always want to call it a station wagon. I know it's not, but it's got this like crossovery station wagon kind of vibe happening with the look and the way it. I don't think there's well, anything I'm, wrong with the word station wagon. I one of the first uh, except cars that, I except drove. That Americans won't buy one. Except yeah, now that I just like say yeah, it, yeah, no one's yeah, going to buy it. As long as you don't say it to, to to the average buyer, it's like minivan. As long as you don't say the uh, word minivan, if you show someone a minivan, they're like, oh, that's cool. But then you say the word minivan, they're like, oh no, never mind. I think it's, right. <laughs> it, there's this like bad perception, but I'm like, it kind of sort of is uh, like a station wagon and there's station wagons are kind of cool. There's good reason like minivans. There's really good reasons to buy them station wagons. There's really good reasons to buy them. So I think the Forester walks that line between crossover and station wagon and leans more towards station wagon than a lot of other vehicles. And I actually like that about it because it has a huge amount of room. We went and got bark mulch yesterday because yard work in 40 degrees in New Hampshire, because it's only May. Um, And (laughs) we were like, we took that car and I thought, Oh, I wonder if we're going to have enough room. And we had enough room in that. Like literally I'm like, I should have done more shopping at home Depot. Like there's so much space in the back of that. And it's so easy to toss things into it. It has a really low load floor too. So as you're hauling stuff up, you don't feel like you're, you know, lifting it to chest height and tossing it in. You're just lifting it a little bit. So the capability, the utility, and then there's the comfort factor. It's a comfortable car. You know, it's easy for the family to ride along in roomy. Um, it does, you know, it does what it's supposed to do. And I, I'm a fan. How much I was like that it. one? 34,000 and change. That's not bad. And this is the limited, which is, I believe, one trim down from that. I want to say there's one more. I'm drawing a blank. I want to say they have another trim up there. But it's it has like heated seats and leather seating surfaces it has their eight inch you know um infotainment screen this one includes a harman kardon eight nine speaker audio system a heated steering wheel so this isn't like a base blah version of the forester this is a pretty well equipped version of it so there's not a lot that you're going to want to add to it you know i'm sure there's bits and pieces you could add but it's not something you think well i i spent thirty four thousand dollars on this but i didn't get the cool stuff you got the cool stuff um I think the only thing that I'm not keen on, and this is just me, I, well, it's not just me. It's the entire planet of automotive <laughs> journalists. I don't like CVTs as a rule. And this one is, can get, this one can get a little bit noisy on the highway. Like as you're accelerating hard to get on the highway, you're like, oh yeah, this has a CVT. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. don't notice it in town, but suddenly to get up to, you know, 65 miles an hour, you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah. Subaru so. sticking with the CVT is still like. It, it makes a, a really good, a, a really, I mean, they, they make great cars, but at the same time, we're like, oh, yeah, but the CVT. Right. That's, uh, just get rid of the CVT and then you, yeah. But, you know, I, right. I, I feel like the people who buy it don't care. That's the weird thing. I don't think they do either. Yeah. I really, because you're not, you get, it's like, even if it's a little bit, no, and it's not like horrifically noisy like they were a few years ago, but I just, I'm aware of it. Um, but you're not, you're not is, buying Is it the noise of the, trans, the transmission or the, the engine just because of where this, you know, the, the revs that the CVT is putting it out well, when you're accelerating? Like it's the engine. It's the, yeah. what the CVT does to the engine, I should say. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that you hear it, you know, you know, you're driving a CVT when you're, just, when you get, when you're trying to get on the highway. It's just weirdly mapped, I think. Is yeah, it? Is that maybe. what it's just? I don't know. It's, it's doing, doing the motorboating thing where it yeah. revs up to 4,000, 4,500 yeah, like RPM. You don't, you don't and hear just it in, in town driving, but yeah. when, as soon as you start to get on the highway, it's like, oh, 
gosh, that is that is loud. <laughs> and then once you get up to speed and you ease up a little bit, it's like, okay, I'll calm down now. But that that heart acceleration. You, you just reach over and turn up your Jack Johnson CD and then you're like, yeah. Right. Just drown it out. <laughs> <laughs> he plays, I, 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 I can't, for the life of me, I can't think of a Jack Johnson song, but it seems like the kind of, you know, if you had a Forrester, that's what you would, you would have. That's what you would be playing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jack Johnson or NPR, you know, what's NPR? I don't know that that could drown it out. NPRs, they're just oh, that's true. Is they're delivering? Yeah. So they need it. They they need a whole commercial where they have they show the old listen to the old CVT with NPR, then listen to the new whatever transmission, <laughs> and you can hear you know Ira Glass say whatever he's saying, and they're like and the new Subaru, go. and then there's a dog driving. Because there has to be a dog. Yeah. You know, you know, you know. What's funny is that they have the 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 Forester like Sport, and all they do is put little red trim around it. And for some, but red is sporty. But it looks, for some reason, whenever I see one of those, I'm like that looks really good. And it's just like a little, some little red bits they add to make it look better. And for some well, reason, that's why there's, there's there's like a million appearance packages on all these different cars out there. It's like, what is, you know, it's the Trail Boss edition. What does it do? It has red, or it has red. green, or we, or we put it, we put a slightly larger spoiler on the back, or it's like you, they did almost nothing. They changed the color. You're like, ooh, yes, I or will you, pay an extra three thousand yeah. dollars. You, you get you get a Polestar you know? engineered Volvo, you know, and it comes with yellow seat yellow seatbelts. Exactly. The yellow seatbelts. That car got cooler. Yeah, it's so like, much better. Yep. Those yes. yellow seatbelts. Midnight. Like, Midnight's the big just a, black. Just a little. Yes, black everything yeah. out. Just a little bit of color or black everything out. So you're just like stealthy like yeah. fbi van version of whatever car you're driving well, i think that toyota just this week uh announced a was a midnight edition of the the prius you know all blacked out uh, like, <laughs> come on. Said, so does it make the prius actually look like a badass no car well, it just makes I it mean, look less you know less so it's, it's not it's not it's not quite as noticeable <laughs> well i can't yeah. see it so it's a little bit better yeah, exactly. It doesn't show up on radar, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Priuses actually show up on radar anyway. I, I think that they are completely stealth, regardless of what color they are. You can never yeah. see I, them. I, I, had I think a, they're just invisible. Even, I had. A, I was going to say because they don't go fast enough yeah. most of the time, yeah. but you know. I had a video shoot this week, and the um the support car was a gray Prius, and so I would have to follow it in like Bay Area traffic, and it would <laughs> I, it would be right in front of me, and it would disappear. I'm like, oh god, where'd the car go? Where'd the car? <laughs> Oh, it's right there. It's right there. It's right there. Okay. I, I could tell it was the car because it had a GoPro on it. That's the only. That was your hint. Look for the GoPro. You didn't just look for a GoPro just kind of floating along in space. Yeah, it was sort of like car. a little GoPro. But yeah, yeah, the Prius itself just kept disappearing. And once it was two cars ahead of me, we were stuck in traffic. There was an accident, blah, blah, blah. But um, it was gone. As far as it was like two cars ahead of me. I'm like, well, can you guys text me the uh, the directions to where or the address to where we're going? Because I can't find the car. It's gone forever. All right, Robbie, what have you been driving this week? What were you following that Prius in? Uh, this week, oh, I was following the Prius in the ID4, which I think I, oh, okay. I feel like I've talked about like maybe too much. Uh, so, but I'll, so I'll move on to, um, I was driving the uh, Polestar 2 this week, which uh, is, it's very kind of complicated because they're, they're, they're the performance arm of Volvo, but Polestar 2 as a uh, Polestar as a company is is not it, they're like sister companies it's very weird the way they have it all set up um it doesn't matter but it's polestar 2 it's the first ev from this company the first the polestar 1 was a hybrid um i i, I drove it i shot video i did a uh like a video review of it and i really dig that car it is the sensibility and solid build quality of a volvo volvo which i for some reason i can't see the word volvo very well 
<laughs> so that was a fun day shooting video. Uh, uh, but it's <clears throat> it's like that, you know, I mean, that, that minimalism, that minimalistic interior of, of the Volvo and all the things you kind of like about Volvo. But it's like really quick, really fun uh, EV. And so, yeah, I drove that this week. It's uh, it's pricey. It's, you know, uh, was it fifty nine? Nine ninety, so it's sixty thousand uh, dollars for the for the uh, or, or I'm sorry, it's fifty fifty five thousand dollars, not fifty. So it's uh, so five thousand dollars cheaper. There, math. Uh, so it's about fifty five. Math is hard. Yeah, for the for the uh, the version I was driving. Um, there's a there's a uh, rear wheel drive uh, single motor version coming out uh, probably this year. Um, that'll be less expensive. Um, but it is, you know, it, and it's, it's, it's going up squarely up against the, um, the model three and it is, it doesn't have the range of the model three. Um, it's, you know, nothing does Tesla continues to, to dominate when it comes to range, but it is, it's just a great little car. I really, really like it. I like the way it drives. I like the way, um, it looks even, you know, sometimes you look at it, it looks a little too tall, but for the most part, I like the way it looks like the way it feels, it just feels like a nice, solid, premium, uh, sporty EV. And I, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's sort of, I've driven it a few times before for like a few hours, you know, they kind of, here's the car for two hours, go drive it around. But I had it for about a week and yeah, after the week I was like, oh yeah, I, I really like this. I can see the market for it. It's still that, you know, Volvo and Polestar are always going to go for a premium market. They're always going to be expensive. You know, you're not, they're, they're not going to build an ID4. They're not going to build a Chevy Bolt. They're not going to build anything like that. So, you know, don't expect a cheap Polestar ever. But uh, yeah, and you know, uh, Android Automotive OS, using it for the week, I was like, this is really, really nice. I really like, because you can just ask it and tell it things because it has that, you know. It's got know. Google Assistant yeah, built Google in. Yeah, Google Assistant, which is, I mean, it's difficult to beat Google Assistant. It, I mean, Google Assistant's better than, than CarPlay. And I, to be honest, Amazon Alexa, every time I use it, it's always, oh gosh. I don't know. And, and it's not like Google's better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, then I talk about there's, there's privacy issues, there's tracking issues. There's all these things that go along with using Google in your car now because we're already using it on our phones and a lot of us are using it. You know, maybe they have a, a home assistant, maybe they have a tablet, maybe they have a TV. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's just one more bit of information that Google has about you. But overall, you know, it was, it's a, it's a great, uh, operating system for, for, for vehicles. You can ask it things like how far is LA and how much is Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> I asked it how much it was. All, all you really need to know. All you really knew, need to know is how far is LA and how much is Bitcoin? And both of those seem to mesh very well. <laughs> I guess I should have said how and, far and is can Miami. I, can I, and can I use my Bitcoin to pay for charging on the way to LA? Exactly. There you go. Yeah, can that I, would have been the question. Can I, can, I, can, I, can I use Bitcoin to pay for charging on the way there? Um, I, I, I like the fact that the... Uh, the charging port isn't over-engineered and has a little button when you just want to unplug it. I think charging ports should be just like gas, you know, the filler hole on your car. Are some of them over-engineered? The, like, I, think, I think the, the Cadillac one, the uh, e-tron, the e-tron e SUV one, like it's if it's mechanical and it's moving, it's doing all these like crazy things. It's like, I just need a, a little flap that the, pops open and then you shove it, it in yeah. and that's it. And yeah, there's like some. Okay. Some a lot of them, yeah. I mean, like the, on the premium cars, like the the Lyric and the the Audis, uh, they've got a door that comes out and you know down oh, and like, out of the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's 
it's very fancy and very cool, but at the same time, like, I just want to charge my car. Why is this happening? I keep wanting to see how one of those doors will work when it's really snowy. You know those moments when you can't open your car door because the ice in the winter has frozen your car door shut? Have you ever had that? Like, Mm -hmm. you're banging on the door. Like, you're literally... Use your fist to break the ice yeah. along the seam. Like, how's that going to work with your charging? I just want to charge my car. <laughs> because it's, yeah, it's yeah, not I, just like, I know. The, uh, uh. you don't want to punch uh, a mechanically controlled thing. Right. Like, yeah, how I've, do you break that? You know? Yeah. I, 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 I talked to Audi when they launched the e-tron and I'm trying to remember. I think it's actually got a mechanism that will actually pull it in slightly and then push it out, you know, to try to break the ice. So it can tell it's smart enough to go, oh, I've had a snowstorm with ice and I can't open out. So it tries to pull in and then push out. Well, it's, it's more, you know, just that uh, there's there's a torque sensor in the motor and the mechanism that, that normally opens the door. And okay. if it's if it's getting too much resistance, if like it tries to open the door and there's too much resistance, it'll pull it back a little bit to try to separate the ice a little bit and then push it out again. Now I'm hoping that I get an EV when we have a winter storm, just so I can like leave it in the driveway, let it get co- totally coated in ice, and say, "Okay, <laughs> all right, do yeah. your best, door." <laughs> yeah. The Polestar Two, you know, they it's kind of sedan shaped, but you know, kind of a high riding, slightly high riding sedan, but it's actually a hatchback. So, you know, I think from a practicality standpoint, that actually gives it a, somewhat of an advantage over the Model Three because. You know, the, the Model 3, you know, I think sits a little bit lower, you know, more traditional sedan. Yeah. But it's it's got that relatively small trunk opening, which, you know, makes it a lot less useful uh, if yeah. you're trying to put stuff in the trunk. Whereas this thing, you know, the whole, you know, it's it's like a lot of uh, European cars, you know, like the, the Audi A5 Sportback and the A7, things like that. You've got this sort of fastback sedan profile, but... You know, that when you open it up, the, the trunk, you know, what would be the trunk lid opens up with the rear glass. So you have a nice big opening to put stuff in there. Yeah, it's 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 easy to get stuff in. It's um, it's got a, a ridiculously small frunk, which I, I, I don't know the frunk thing. Um, unless it's big, I don't I don't care about it unless it's like, you know, it's like the F-150 or the uh, or something else. Unless it's something huge. I don't. Yeah, I'm not really that that. That interested. Unless unless it's going to be big, you know. But you know what? You know what the frunk is cool? It's like because some of them, like if they're um, they're very small, they don't do a lot. But like if you have kids and you've got like the muddy stuff and you want to like pack things in your car, you know, in your vehicle, but you want a little partitioned for the the swimsuits, the muddy boots, the wet snow pants or whatever. The frunk is perfect for that. Like it's its own little partition. Well, except except in some a lot of these cars, it's so small that it's not even really useful for that. I mean, but in mo- in many cases, it's really only big enough to basically stick the charging cable in there. That, like the the yeah. Jaguar I-Pace and the Audi e-tron. Yeah, that's what's in the Well, then it's pointless. Yeah. Then I'm with you, Roberto. Then like why? But Yeah, it's only it's only yeah, it only has a charging cable in there. I'm like, "All right, fine. I'm never opening this unless I want to <laughs> Unless I go visit somebody, it's going to be something that I think people are going to use very often. But yeah, that that the hatchback opens pretty wide. You can get a lot of stuff in there. Um, you wouldn't have children if you have a Polestar too, and let them. You know, you wouldn't let muddy children in your Polestar too. I don't know. Maybe you would. You you just take your your muddy children the, out with you. That's what the Subaru is for. That's what the, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You would have that's the Polestar too, and you would have a Subaru, or you would have the a Forester for the mess, like an XC60 or XC90 for the kids, and then the Polestar too is like we're going somewhere nice tonight. Uh, <laughs> 
So the the Polestar wasn't the only thing you had this week. Yeah. What else you've been driving? I've also been driving the uh, <clears throat> the Honda Ridgeline, and you know Honda has the you know they've been talking about the Ridgeline for forever that it's you know it's pretty much all the truck that most people need, and it is a it, it is marketing speak and it is completely true. Um, after driving it this week, we went and we picked up some some giant fence panels from uh, a tractor supply store. Um, we, you know, I'm probably going to go use it to pick up some, some mulch, uh, later. I know that for some, <laughs> you're always buying mulch when you own a house, by the way, when you buy a house, you are. you're just right. buying, even if you don't need it, you're just, I guess I got to pick up some mulch. Uh, <laughs> you got to keep it in stock. You, you never gotta, know when you're going to need more. Yeah. Mulch. Um, and I, you know, I, you use it for towing. So it, it'll tow five, you know, towing capacity is 5,000 pounds, which isn't huge. It's not like, you know, it, the, the, the Tundra or the Tacoma beats it in, t- in towing. But I, I mean, for, for, for most people, that's more than enough. I, they, they gave it to me with a Honda Talon on a trailer. Attack. So <laughs> I took that out yesterday. And so, yeah, it was, it was fine. It was, you know, driving and, you know, it was towing. It didn't feel like it was being, you know, bogged down by the, the town. The town's not that, you know, it's a side by side. It's like a, like, I, I guess like you, uh, the equivalent of like a modern day, modern day dune buggy. Um, is sort of the easiest sort of uh, of uh, comparison for those who don't know what a side by side is. Um, yeah, I took it up to 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 a park. I drove it around, and but yeah, you know, it's it's you know, I think uh, Sam earlier you said you know the, the brakes could be a little bit better, and I think that's true. I think the brakes could be about ten percent better, but I feel like most cars the brakes could be about ten percent better. Um, but uh, you can never have too much brakes. You can never have too much brakes. I am I'm a, I'm a strong believer in like, hey, let's let's all just make the brakes a little bit better, everybody. Come on, let's all get together. <laughs> let's spend a little extra. Spend money a little right extra money. How about we give you? How about you 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 spend four hundred dollars on better brakes, and we'll give you five hundred dollars for it. How's that sound? <laughs> um, yeah, it starts at uh you know the the with the with the the destination of handling uh thirty about thirty eight thousand dollars. Um, right up there with like the Tacoma, um, it has a nine speed, uh, automatic transmission. It's you know, 280 horsepower, 262, uh, pound feet of torque, which is, you know, it pulled the trailer. No problem. Pulled the, t- the talent. No problem. I didn't feel like it was being, you know, you know, other than going uphill where you can, you can kind of feel it like, you know, working a little bit harder than, than let's say, you know, anything bigger, something with a V8 or a diesel, which would, they would have eaten up that hill. No problem. Um, but again, it's it's like just the right size. It's not too tall. I feel like mo- modern trucks have gotten incredibly tall for no reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you look at trucks from like the 80s and 90s, 2000s, they're, you know, even you know, they can say, well, you know, the front is, you know, this, they're not that tall. But the, the way they're designed and the way they, they, they make you feel when you're driving, it makes you feel like you're driving in a school bus because um, you're, you're, you're so tall and you can't see anything in front of you. You can see what's in front of you like a like a like a like a tradition like an suv um it's got a unibody it's got unibody construction which you know if you're used to driving suvs and and sedans and whatnot it's going to feel uh a bit more comfortable as opposed to a uh, body on frame and yeah no i i i'm 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 i turns out i'm a fan of the the honda ridgeline after years of, of sort of like like okay okay yeah sure okay and then you drive it like oh okay <laughs> 
Well, one, so of, one I feel of like the- everybody sort of poo poos the ridge line, like, oh, it's a truck, but not really. And but it it's it is a, it, it, I think I think it's you know what I think the the body on frame thing is such a is a it is is almost like a cult. The body on frame thing is the same thing as the um, air cooled Porsche. If it's not an air cooled <laughs> Porsche, it's not a real Porsche. If it's not body yeah. on frame, it's not a real truck. And you're just like, are you gonna rip the 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 bed off your truck and put a flat bed on it? Are you gonna like what are you gonna why do you need the body on frame? What is your <laughs> What's yeah, your I mean, ultimate goal? Why is that a necessity? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like like you said, you know, like like Honda says, you know, it, it's all the truck most people need. I mean, five thousand pounds towing, you know, that was plenty to tow, you know, a Talon. Uh, you know, it's enough to tow a couple of jet skis or a couple of snowmobiles. Um, you know, smaller trailers, even you know, a smaller boat. You know, like a twenty foot boat. You know, is you know, four, no more than about four thousand pounds. So, you know, you can. You can generally do, you know, unless you need to tow a horse trailer or something yeah. like that, or, you know, a 30 foot Airstream, you, know, you, you don't really, most people don't need more than 5,000 pounds towing capability. So I think, you know, it, it's plenty, you know, and it's, it's got a roomy cabin and the Ridgeline remains the only pickup truck out there that has a lockable trunk in the back of the bed, you that, know, which that is, trunk a, is so huge. It is so yeah. deep. We threw, um, I took uh, three other people with me, two adults and a child, to go ride, uh, drive that Talon. And so I opened up the trunk, and there was so much room in there. We stuck a bunch of helmets in there. I had a tiny cooler. I was just like, well, I was like looking around my house to find more things to put in there. It is it, there's <laughs> there was way more room than I anticipated in that in that sort of that that bed trunk, and it has like it has a drain hole. So if you yep. so so if you do have children with messy stuff, you can throw their messy, yes. muddy, disgusting uh, clothing and boots and whatnot in there, and then take it out, and then later on just get the hose and hose it out. Yep. Or yeah. for your tailgate parties, you know, just don't even bother with a cooler. Just fill the trunk with ice and, you know, yeah. let, let the water drain out the bottom. And you're good. At, the first time I ever drove the Ridgeline, I was at an event with a whole bunch of different OEMs. But Honda literally had it there with full of ice, what on display. And they just put all these, you know, sodas and water bottles and stuff. And I'm like, that is a lot of uh, cooled beverages for everything, everybody. That thing is huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, and, so. and they, you know, they, they also, you know, the... They gave you know they they it, it was delivered with the with that side by side the talent and it's really that that's some synergy right there because their whole like part of their spiel is like you know what people buy these you know their the, the Toyota or their F one fifty and they jack it up in order to go off road and do all these things but most of the time that car is stuck on regular pavement you know driving around and sometimes those those trucks never go off road they just look like they're they're ready they're ready for something that's not going to happen um and they're like you know you can take the ridge line yes you can go off road with it but it's not going to be a rock crawler but we have this entire division our power sports division of motorcycles and side by sides and jet skis we own a jet if you guys want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, which, by the way, is a great jet. I, I love the amazing. Honda jet. <laughs> if you're in the market for a so, jet, yeah, so, so it's, it's very, five million. It's very much like, hey, you can tow all the things, all the other things we make, and actually have fun off road versus you know driving your truck off road. And um, to sort of jump over to the Talon, where I went, they didn't have like trails for side by sides. The trails were all for motorcycles and ATVs, uh, quads. With the, um, but they had a uh, four by four area for big, you know, four by four trucks that I could take the side by side to. And they were all driving like five miles an hour up things. And, was, and I'm just flying by. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I think I was having, you know, it's it's fun to take your like the 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 car you drive every day off road. And you're like, oh, look at me, I'm driving, you know, real slow, and I can go look at the things I can do. But then some jerk and this tiny little like dune buggy thing just goes flying past you, <laughs> and just like flying over things. <laughs> you're like, oh, maybe I should have bought that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I chose poorly. Yeah. So it all was, right. Uh, overall, yeah, yeah, and that Talon, man, that thing is it's it's about twenty one thousand bucks. It's not cheap. Um, there's they have a two seater and a four seater. I had the two seater, um, uh, about 104 horsepower, thousand cc engine, and it is if you like off roading and you know especially if you're getting older if you're, you've been riding motocross, um, it's it's you don't even have to be you know a, a motocross person. Just get in and drive it. It's, it's got a DCT. It's it's better than the <laughs> it's better than the Subaru. <laughs> it's got the dual clutch transmission, which is like the Polaris. Their main thing has a DCT, and that dual clutch transmission is outstanding because it just goes. It just boom because you know that 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 CVT when you first start off, it's like uh, okay, right? Yeah, the DCT is it's great on the road. It's a little bit tougher though when you're trying to get on the trailer because it's just like instant let's go, instant torque because it doesn't weigh anything. Yeah. All right. I also had a giant SUV the past week. I had the uh, Cadillac Escalade Sport Platinum. Uh, again, I actually had one a couple of months ago, but that one was missing one key feature that I was looking for, which was GM's second generation Super Cruise system. So, you know, the, the, Escal- you know, the Escalade, like the, the GMC Yukon and the, the Chevy Tahoe, you know, comes in two lengths. Uh, you get the the standard length, you know, which for a Chevy, they call it the Tahoe. The longer wheelbase version is the, the Suburban. Um, you know, they also have, you know, two ver- two lengths of, of this one. This was the short wheelbase. So it's about the size of similar in size to the the Armada, uh, but quite a bit more expensive. Um, and, you know, even compared to the, the latest Armada, it, you know, feels quite a bit more premium, too. You know, we talked about this a bit last time, you know, this this generation of. GM's full-size SUVs are the first ones to get independent rear suspension. Uh, and so they've got a lot better ride quality. The, the rear floor is a lot lower. So the, that third row seat is actually up off the floor now. If you've ridden in previous generations of GM's SUVs, if you tried to get back into that back row, you know the, the seat was always mounted on the floor because the floor had to be higher to allow room for the, the rear axle to move up and down. That's no longer an issue with this thing. You know, the, 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 the differential stays in one place so they can have a lower floor. It's a lot more comfortable to sit back there. Um, you even have, you know, decent amount of leg room. You're not in that knee up kind of position you were at the old Escalade or Suburban. Uh, and the, you know, this one's still got the, the big displays, you know, three giant OLED displays. Uh, spans about 37 inches across, including 17 inches for the infotainment screen in the middle. But what really differentiated this one, as I said, from the one I drove a few months ago, was Super Cruise. Um, you know, I I drove Super Cruise back for the first time back in the fall of 2017 when they first launched it on the Cadillac CT6, and they, for, for a variety of reasons, GM opted never to add that version of Super Cruise to any of their other vehicles uh, until now. Uh, because the electrical architecture in those vehicles didn't support over-the-air updates for everything. And so they decided to wait until they launched vehicles with their their new electrical architecture that allows them to do those OTA updates and improve the performance and capability of the system. 
And the, the Escalade is one of the first batch of vehicles to, to have this. And so this is their, their second generation system. Uh, still uses uh, four cameras, a forward facing camera, a rear camera, and two cameras on the mirrors that look down and keep track of where the lane markings are relative to the vehicle or where the vehicle is relative to the lane markings. It's also got five radar sensors. Um, and then and there's also uh, a driver monitor uh, infrared camera on top of the uh, steering column that looks at you because this this is a hands-free system, but it's not a fully autonomous system. You know, it's it's intended to be supervised. So you do have to keep your eyes on the road. You can you don't have to put your hands on the wheel when it's active, but you do have to watch the road and be ready to take over. Uh, and so they they were GM was the first one to use this infrared driver monitor system to to watch your face and watch your eyes in particular to see where you're looking. Uh, and so if you you know, if if the system decides you need to take over, or if you're not paying attention, it'll start to alert you. Um, Cadillac has the the nice haptic seats, so that instead of um, you know a, an annoying uh, audible tone, it actually just buzzes the seat when it's you know it's trying to get your attention. Um, and it has a light bar in the top of the steering wheel uh, as well to give you a, a good indication of what mode you're in when it's green. Super Cruise is active and working. Uh, when it switches to blue, it's ready, but it's not active. And when it's red, it means you need to be taking over control. Um, one of the, the new features that they've added for the second generation version uh, is the auto lane change. So all you have to do is tap the steering column, uh, or the, sorry, the, the, the turn signal stock, and uh, the system, the sensors will start looking to see if there's anybody in the adjacent lane in whichever direction you tap. So if you tap the left turn signal, it'll look to the left or look to the right for the other one. Um, and when it's all clear, it'll execute the lane change and just continue on driving. And it works really, really well. I mean, it was during the, the week I had it, it was pretty much flawless. Uh, Did it fact, feel really smooth changing lanes? I always wonder about that, like with the lane yeah. change thing. Was that like you've looked and you said, OK, I can change lanes. Like if you were driving when you hit that, is it as quick as you are to go? Yep, I've got room. Or are you sort of sitting there waiting or is it giving that that weirdly like, oh, no, I need room for two cars, not just this car to get in there? Does it seem like it makes intuitive sense to you? I would say it's relatively conservative for safety reasons, uh, but, you know, it's not overly so. So, you know, I mean, there are there are spots where, I, you know, I might have gone, you know, a little bit quicker, but uh, not not by very much. It it wasn't it wasn't annoyingly slow. Okay, so, so, so it wasn't enough that you thought, come on, change lanes. It's clear. Get a move on. It wasn't annoying. Yeah, no. It's, okay. I mean, as soon as it was clear, it would it would go. So, okay, cool. You know, and so and, and it was very smooth in operation, uh, you know, no, no jerking around or anything. So I, I, I liked it a lot, um, you know, and as as these systems go, you know, Super Cruise, you know, is still, I think, the best system out there in terms of its reliability and ability to, um, you know, to, to accurately judge what's around it and, and do the right things. Um, you know, it is, you know, it is a little more limited than, you know, some of what Tesla's autopilot can do. Like it doesn't do, you know, on-ramp to off-ramp navigation. You don't give it a destination. You know, it just tries to follow the road. You know, you get on the road, on the highway and, and it is geofence. So, you know, it's using high definition maps. So it knows, you know, 
two, more than 200,000 miles of divided highways. That's the only place it'll let you activate it. It won't let you activate it in the city or, you know, on rural roads, things like that. Uh, so, you know, they're, they've biased it towards safety. Um, but the things that it does, it, it does very well. And it does more now than it did back in 2017. Um, and, and, you know, I think it does, does it, does it really great. Does a great job with it. Um, you know, the, the last time I drove the Escalade, it was still wintertime and, you know, and the Escalade, they offer, you have the choice of two engines. You can get the 6.2 liter V8, um, or the diesel that you had in the Suburban and there's no price premium for the diesel. You can pick either one for either engine for the same price. And both times I've had the, the gas V8 in the Escalade, the, um, the V8, um, when I had it before, uh, in the wintertime, it only got about 13 and a half, 14 miles per gallon. This time I averaged about 17 miles per gallon cause it was warmer out. Um, but you know, it did, you know, it's, you know, GM Chevy small block or GM small block V8s are, you know, fantastic engines. So you really can't go wrong with one of those. Uh, but it was nice to, to see it was a, a little more efficient, but I think, you know, if you're doing a lot of, especially highway driving, I, I would definitely recommend, you know, taking a look at the diesel as a, as an alternative, uh, especially if you're going to tow with it, but just in general, you know, if, if you're planning to use this, uh, a vehicle like this with super cruise a lot, you might want to consider the diesel, which gets you up, you know, into the, the mid 20 mile per gallon range, uh, which would be a lot, a lot more tolerable. Um, the, uh, the, the super cruise package on the new Escalade is a $2,500 option. Um, when it first launched on the CT six, it was $5,000. Uh, so it's, it's, the price has been cut in half. Um, and one thing we know now that we didn't know back in 2017 is that, um, because it, it requires, you know, updated maps all the time, it does require you to have an OnStar connectivity package and GM includes three years of that, that OnStar connectivity when you buy the vehicle. Uh, but then after that, you have to pay like $25 a month for an OnStar subscription to keep using Super Cruise. And the, the early CT6s, you know, this came up a year ago uh, when some of those early CT6s started hitting that three-year mark. Um, all of a sudden, people started getting a bill from GM. It's like, yeah, you got to subscribe to OnStar. A lot of people were not pleased with that because it wasn't clear when they bought the vehicle that that was going to be the case. Now they're they're making it a little more clear that you have to do that. Um, and the same is going to be true for all the other automakers, Ford with Blue Cruise and uh, Nissan's uh, ProPilot version two that's coming. Uh, they're, they're all going down this path where you'll get a few years of use out of it. And then you have to pay for a connectivity subscription after that to continue using it. So would you pay $2,500 extra to have that if you were in the market for a Cadillac Escalade? Um, it, de it depends on, on what my, driving, you know, what my use case was for driving. Um, you know, if I was still doing a lot of commuting on the highway, I, I might well do that. Um, because you know, it does, it does make long highway drives easier, you know, and this is one of the things about all of these types of hands-free systems or, or assist systems is even though you, you can now take your hands off the wheel, you still have to pay attention. And so it's, it's reducing the cognitive load on the driver in some respects, because, you know, you're not constantly trying to follow the road, but at the same time, because you do have to pay attention, it's, it's creating a different kind of cognitive load. 
And so I don't know that it's necessarily more relaxing. It's easier in some ways, but it's more challenging in other ways because of that, that need to continue supervising the system. I think, you know, GM does a, the way they've got it set up. They've done a really good job of, you know, making it very clear to the driver when the system is active or when it needs you to take over much more, more so than I think any other manufacturer has to this point. Um, so I think that's, that's a good thing. Um, so we'll see, you know, how, it, how things turn out with some of the other systems, hands-free systems that are coming to market this year. Um, but for now, I, I still think Super Cruise is, is the best of these systems and even more so now with things like the lane changing, you know, the last morning I had it, I was driving up, uh, to Holly, Michigan for the Nissan Pathfinder drive. And, you know, I, I got on the highway engaged super cruise and didn't touch the steering wheel again until I got off the highway, you know, 60 miles North. Um, all I did was tap the turn signal a couple times to change the, um, change, change lanes automatically, but never actually took over steering control at any point in there. And one, one thing that GM was the first to do with super cruise when they launched it and they continue to do because they've got that high definition map information, they know the, the banking and the radius of all the turns, uh, along along these roads, and so one of the things it does as as you're going along, you know, if you're coming up, if you're approaching a curve, that um, the the maximum safe speed through that curve might be less than what your current set speed is for the system. It will automatically slow the vehicle down as you enter the curve, uh, and then resume your set speed as you as you pass the apex of the curve. So. You know, there's there's a couple of curves um, along in the highway uh, just on the north side of Ann Arbor, you know, where I was going. I had it set at 75 and it dropped the speed down to about 63 as it went through the curve and then resumed the set speed I had and then did the same thing again for the next curve and then just stayed at the same speed for the rest mm -hmm. of the trip. Did it feel annoying or did it feel like the right speed? Like it was it no, a speed no, that you it, felt like it should slow down to or was it being overly cautious? No, I, I, you know, I, I think it was it was a reasonable speed for, you know, especially for, you know, big, big vehicle like this. Yeah. Yeah. And bo both of these Escalades that I had, the one I had previously and this one were both uh, in the white tricoat paint with and because there was sport trim, everything was all black. You had the black grill, black mesh grill and black trim around the headlights and around, you know, around the side glass, you know, no chrome or anything. It was all, all blacked out. This thing kind of, it kind of looks like, uh, you know, like it would be the official ride of the commander of a, an Imperial stormtrooper uh, <laughs> division in star Wars. Yeah. It would need a cape yeah. yes. of some kind. Yeah, that's true. Yes. It would need a cape. I, uh, but other, other than that, it was great. I am. Um, I, I was on that, the initial drive that they did with super cruise from, Oh, is it New Mexico to like Santa Monica, California, where they just like two days of using Super Cruise, mm -hmm. and more so than like it, like you said, I think more so than than a lot of other automakers, I feel like Cadillac really or GM really did the right thing when it comes to uh, driver monitoring, um, helping drivers figure out you know what's going on with the vehicle with that that light bar that's on the uh, steering wheel. Um, initially, I was just like, "eh, this looks kind of goofy." But then, when you start using it, you're like, "oh, oh, this is a really good idea." Because this is exactly where you know your eye sees this as you're looking at the road. Um, and of course, you know the driver again, the driver monitoring the high definition maps and just making sure that you're paying attention while this system's um, active. And and yeah, for the the cognitive load, yeah, it does sort of reduce. I, I you know I find these systems are mostly helpful when um, 
A, I'm trying to eat while driving on the freeway. Uh, yep. And B, when I'm stuck, just make sure you don't put your food in front of your eyes. Yeah, you know, just it'll disengage. Or, or when I'm uh, when I'm stuck in traffic. When I'm stuck in traffic, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, just in just even just adaptive cruise control is great because I'm just like ah, because traffic just annoys me. Traffic's not driving. Traffic, you know, it's it's the worst <laughs> aspect of being in a car is being stuck in traffic. But if I can just turn something on and it sort of does, you know, it's, it, it keeps track of everything and sort of does it. It sort of reduces my stress level and my anger at the fact that there's so many people on the road. And, and, and we're first <laughs> term, I know we're all going somewhere and we're all very important, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I had uh, I did the, that initial drive uh, from Cleveland to Chicago to Memphis. Um, and then a few months later, I had one uh, when I was out in California. And, uh, I went up, I went up to twit, I went up to the twit studio to do a segment with Leo with that and driving back from Petaluma, I went around the East Bay side instead of, instead of taking the, uh, the Golden Gate bridge, I went across the Bay bridge and, you know, I had it in, cru- in super cruise most of the way. Um, I did have to, you know, take over control as we were getting onto the bridge, but then all the way across the bridge, again, I never touched the steering wheel until it got to the the west side of the bridge, you know, as you're coming into San Francisco, at which point, you know, it's it's no longer a, a highway there. You know, you have, you have to take over full control. But all the way from getting, you know, getting on the bridge from the, the toll gates you know, or the, the, the toll booth on the, the east side, all the way across, you know, across Treasure Island and into the city. I just hands off. I just sat back and let it do its thing, you know, in yeah. morning rush hour traffic. Yeah, no, no, it's, I, I, you know, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably my favorite, um, uh, advanced driver's assistance system out there, uh, still, even, you know, from 2000, whatever we 17, I, I can't, yeah, 17. Time, time doesn't make any sense anymore to me, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no. And, and, and again, it all comes down to that initial, like, Hey, we need to keep an eye on people. I'm like, Hey, we need to make it so people can, they know what's going on. And, you know, let's use like technology, let's, let's use, you know, redundant technology, radar and cameras and, um, you know, HD maps. And, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's the smart way to go. It's, you know, as we sort of transition to whatever level people, you know, three or four, um, in however long that's going to take. Yeah. That's going to take a while, but it'll be tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Bottom bottom line price on this Escalade was one hundred and thirteen thousand sixty five dollars, including Ouch. delivery. That's a lot. It is luxury car is luxury and, priced, and and this this is the the flagship of the Cadillac line at least until the Celestic arrives uh, next year or the year after, whenever whenever it actually goes into production, and that's going to be their their electric sedan flagship. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So speaking of redundancy or lack of redundancy, Tesla, they decided to remove the radar from the Model 3 and the Model Y, the radar sensor that's part of that's been part of the autopilot system since the beginning. I have so many thoughts about this. Like A, why? <laughs> B, why? C, why? This is this is just this is backwards. You're you're the the old you know when when Tesla came out with their their sort of autonomous day or they had an investor event. Well, they they talked about their their computer, their chip, their um. And they kept saying the word uh, redundancy. Well, we got to have there is redundancy, 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 redundancy. And at the same time, you know, Elon had been poo-pooing LIDAR. And I'm like, well, that's a redundant system. You know, you have cameras, radar, LIDAR. You have these three different systems. If two of them fail, you still have at least one other system. And, you know, this is, this is, you're literally talking about people's lives when you're talking about these systems. Because if you don't have a redundant system and it fails, like you have a, you know, if, if it, if it, suddenly fails instead of like you know failing over time because bugs or weather or whatever then then the person has to take over immediately and they might not be ready to take over especially when you're talking about a lot of uh not a lot i don't want to say a lot you know a sect of tesla drivers who are who are complete idiots who decide that that that, uh, autopilot is self-driving um so removing radar is such a such a backwards move which i think you know Either it's a uh, they want to crow about how great their their system is their you know their 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 machine learning and their AI or b it comes down to money you know they're losing a lot of they're they're going to be losing a lot of EV credits with Stellantis going you know Stellantis doesn't need to give them money anymore for EV credits so they are that's that's a that's profit that they're losing and so if they can make the manufacturing of their cars cheaper by removing radar then I mean that's that's and that's a bad bad it's reason. It cuts forty dollars from the bill of materials. Yeah, the car. it's it's so. <laughs> I, I I just I it's it's such a, and it's hard. It it would be it's hard for me to trust something that doesn't have a redundant system. And when you're talking about a, a you know a advanced driver's assistance, you need redundant systems throughout, from the sensors to the computers to the to the to the wiring to the the network to everything needs to be redundant because you're talking about uh replacing some of the actions that a human makes um and if it's there there is no redundancy then it's not really that safe now is it no well, so they already have it so it says it was beginning with deliveries now in may of 2021 so theoretically there's vehicles out there already that are no longer equipped with radar right uh yeah so the the way the the system was set has been set up since they launched version two of autopilot in October of 2016. They have eight cameras around the car and uh, 12 ultrasonic sensors, which are really short range, low resolution sensors. That's the, the little parking buttons you find around the car. And then one long range radar in the front. And they've gotten rid of that radar. I guess cars built in the last two weeks uh, or so. Mm-hmm no longer have the radar sensor, at least for the North American market. Apparently, one's going to Europe and those in, in China and other markets still have the radar. So it's only for North America where they've taken out the radar. Is that um, because we require it somehow? Like, you know how the, the standards are different in Europe than they are here? Do we make them? Do we let them get away with it? Uh, well, we do let them get away with a lot, um, which is unfortunate. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, one, one of the big differences in most other markets is when manufacturers make a change that affects uh, like any of the safety stuff, 
they have, or well, just in general, before they can put a, a vehicle on sale, they have to go through a type approval process. So here, here in the, in North America or in the U.S., uh, manufacturers get to self-certify. So there's a whole bunch of regulations over what vehicles have to do in terms of crash uh, safety and all the, all these other systems. And basically, the manufacturers have are supposed to do the testing, submit the paperwork to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. They look it over, sign it off, and then the car goes on sale. In Europe, they have to go through a type approval process where they actually give the vehicle to an independent third party that does the testing and validation. And they're the ones that sign off. And so if, if Tesla wanted to remove the radar in Europe, I think that they actually would have to go through the type approval process again, do an amended type approval before they could sell it that way in Europe. Uh, and you know, I think that they probably figure, at least for now, European um, customers would not be too thrilled about losing the radar sensor. Uh, you know, American customers are like cool, 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 whatever. <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah, um, you know, or they 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 don't realize it. I mean, already, you know, within a couple of days after the Tesla made the announcement, Consumer Reports um, and, uh, and and IHS uh, both came out and said, you know, we're reducing the. The safety rating, you know, so the the top safety pick plus for the mo- for the Model Three and the Model Y from IHS went away. Uh, Consumer Reports reduced their safety rating for the car, um, and you know, I, I, I'm you know I, I I'm I'm having a hard time coming to grips with this. It, this this the Tesla seems to be particularly Elon Musk um, seems to be so obsessed with doing this with cameras only, which I think is just stupid, especially if if they actually have any hope of ever really getting to full self-driving, which they're not going to do with, with the current system, but that you know, even if they, if they wanted to get there, you know, a, a big part of a fully self-driving system is it has to be fail operational. You know, this, this, this concept of fail safe versus fail operational. You know, when I was still an engineer, you know, when we were working on ABS and traction control and stability control, you know, one of the things you had to do was you had to have diagnostic software in there that could detect anything going wrong with a sensor or an actuator or software and alert the driver. And the driver was the backup system. So fail safe, you know, you have to detect a fault and let the driver know and the driver takes over. But with an autonomous vehicle, if there's no driver in the vehicle or if there might not be any controls in the vehicle, it has to be fail operational, which means that when you detect a fault with one system, there has to be a backup, you know, a redundant system and preferably uh, also diversity. So you want the redundant systems should be different from each other, not the same thing. And, you know, then you have a system that can take over and provide at the very least uh, reduced the performance control to you till the vehicle can get to a safe location and getting rid of radar, you know, eliminates some of that redundancy. You know, the having just cameras is it's just a terrible idea because, you know, cameras have cameras are great for a lot of stuff, but they also have a lot of limitations and especially the way Tesla has them configured on their car. Um, you know, it's, it's problematic. And I, I think that, you know, people would be foolish to, uh, to buy one of these without a radar sensor. Yeah, it's the and the the things that can that can uh, sort of disable a camera are the sun. I've had cameras yeah. on you know the super when the super cruise drive it turns out the uh, infrared uh, camera 
that was looking at me. At one point, the sun was directly behind it and pointed right at it, and so it couldn't detect my face anymore. I mean, that's the same thing, you know. I've, I've been they fixed that now, by the oh, way. Oh, that's good. But I've, you know, I've been in Teslas where I was driving into the sun, and the 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 you know the autopilot system just wouldn't. It was just like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna work right now. And he's like, okay, I understand this, but you know, you drive, you know, the car in front of you kicks up a bunch of mud. Uh, I think you wrote about um, bugs. I mean, it's bugs. bugs. Salt. Even five minutes of driving in the winter, and every sensor on your car can be coated because they're low and they're all coated with ice. Yeah, and it feels like Christmas trees have like of, of lights on your dashboard telling you all of these self-driving functions just don't work no you more know, all that stuff nothing works it's like drive like old school because nothing you think is going to work is going to work it, and it doesn't even take like a horrible storm just like winter just regular winter yeah you know uh, well and you know the the way tesla has their cameras configured you know three of the cameras they've got a trifocal camera system in the front behind the windshield by the mirror and they're all clustered together uh, so there's a, a long, uh, a telephoto, a wide angle and an ultra wide angle. And, you know, they're with nominally within the swept area of the windshield wipers. But, you know, Nicole, <laughs> that, you know, in wintertime, you know, the, the the last couple inches of the windshield wipers, you know, rarely work very well. Right, you know, right. when, when you start and getting ice build up and you get ice build up in, and then you get that, you know, you have the perfect little windshield wiper spot that you can see. <laughs> but then is it then suddenly the ice and snow that's above it gets heavy enough to fall into your field Slide of vision back. for a second. And as you're trying to get that off the window, it's blocking where those things like sensors cannot see through that. Like I can still see where I'm going, but there's little chunks of ice sort of falling. Yeah. That's going to mess them up too. It's uh, yeah. And then you said like radar is not that expensive. It's super effective. It's a, it's, you know, we've been, we've been using it for forever. <laughs> um, it's a weird choice. Do you think there's something else behind it? I mean, I guess the money saving thing, but you think like you read the little thing, they're going to rely on camera vision and neural net processing. Do they have some other plan out there of which we are unaware that would make this all make sense in another month and a half? Do you I think? I doubt it. It's I, I, I think I, that I really the, the plan so. is hey look what we can do, where and, and there's going to be people who are going to be like yeah look what Tesla's doing and you're just like yeah but other cars are coming out that have all these sensors and when one fails these other ones work you know it's it's yeah like why 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 be braggadocious about safety um, maybe be a little you know and 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 not in safety like we have a lot of sensors that we're going to help you but more braggadocious like we're removing sensors we're removing re- we're taking out stuff we're, taking, we're we're taking that stuff away we're removing <laughs> redundancy from this from this uh you know this 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 you know this this thing of metal and steel and glass and plastic barreling down the road at 70 miles an hour we're going to take some stuff out we're going to yeah. we're going to well, uh, well and, and part odd. of part of this you know because the system actually has less performance now, they've actually limited the capabilities of autopilot. So, you know, like the auto steer system now is limited to 75 miles an hour. It will not work above 75. Also, some of the automatic emergency braking no longer works until they, you know, update their software some more and try and get it working again. But, you know, instead of waiting until they actually had that stuff working to remove the, the radar, they decided to take it out now. You know, and hope for the best. It's so, it's such a, it's such a weird, weird decision. And it, and, and, and a lot of the, any, anything that's weird that happens at Tesla comes from Elon. That's, it's, it's yeah. that's it. I mean, it's. A- yeah. And I'm looking, it also gets rid of smart summon. If your vehicle has it and emergency lane departure avoidance, they're disabled at delivery. Yeah. So those two features, poof, like we. 
Yeah. What? If you bought them, oh, it's okay because Smart Summon never really worked anyway. Yeah. So. No, but I mean, technically it was there. But like, so Smart Summon and Emergency Lane Departure Avoidance, gone. So yeah. if you ordered a car at the end of April for like a June delivery, you're like, oh, cool, I'm going to use Smart Summon or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have this, this, these features that I can rely on. And then when the car gets delivered, now you know that when your car gets delivered, it's not going to have those features because they've decided to remove hardware and the software hasn't caught up. To to their Tesla vision, uh, it's okay. But but pe- people have been you know paying up to ten thousand dollars for full self driving for you know almost five years now, and they still don't have that capability. They have so and they and they never really will. Yeah, so. it's it's. I, I would like Tesla's um, the engineering for Tesla's batteries and motors is amazing, and then it yeah. just sort of gets weird after that. Sticking with with Tesla for a moment. Um, there was a John Volker wrote an interesting story for the drive this week. Um, sometime probably towards the end of the year, uh, Tesla is supposed to start building, um, building cars, building model wise at their uh, new factory in Austin, Texas. And eventually I think the, the cyber truck is supposed to be built there as well. Um, but <laughs> there's this weird little anomaly. They're going to be building cars in, in Texas but they can't sell those cars in Texas. They actually have to ship the cars out of Texas first, sell them to like, if, if somebody in Texas wants to buy a vehicle that was built in Austin, it has to be shipped out of the state first. They have to buy it and title it outside of Texas and then bring it back into Texas because Texas is one of those 20 or so States that does not allow car makers to sell vehicles directly to consumers. What do you guys think about this? It was I, I, this. This is a really good article because um, it kind of talks about how, like, it seemed like, well, they they wooed uh, Elon into building this factory in Texas, and you know, injecting like billions of dollars into the economy and having all these jobs. And you're like, hey, great, you know, people need jobs, and you know, Texas is seems like a nice place most of the time. Um, and so, yeah, that'd be great. You know, we, we bring your factory here, bring your technology here, bring your, oh, okay. Yeah. But you can't sell your thing here. I'm sorry. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta ship it to, 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 you know, Arizona or to, to, to Oklahoma or wherever <laughs> you get to buy it. Like there should be like little ancillary, like I want to buy it in Texas and I can't like right on the border, you know, like the parking lot is in Texas, but the building where you buy it is actually in one state. Yeah. yeah it's like the like state line, like in, um, in California, the state, there's a, you know, the road to, to Las Vegas, there's a place called state line. And right on the other side of the line is like a bunch of casinos. As soon as you get into Nevada. Yeah. You can, <laughs> so that's what's going to be, or, or like the going into Oregon where they don't have sales tax right at the, right at the we border. Order, you can go into Oregon and buy a bunch of stuff without sales tax and can come back into we California. We have the same thing. We have this huge, we have no sales tax. And there's this huge shopping mall and they were arguing about how they were going to put it on the plot of land. And they're like, well, one, you know, part of that's going to be in Massachusetts. So you have to collect sales tax. Like, no problem. They like shift the whole plan. The parking lot is in Massachusetts. Once you get into the building, New the Hampshire. The structure is all on the yeah, New yeah. Hampshire side of the state line. <laughs> nice. So they can collect tax on parking if they ever charge for parking. If they uh, yeah. give Massachusetts a few minutes, they'll come up with that plan. But this is, yeah, I feel like I, I'm sure uh, somebody at Tesla is, um, uh, well, Elon Musk, uh, he, he was, uh, he's fuming about this because he, he was tweeting. I'm shocked. Yeah. So he, you know, you're talking about a, a lot of money dropped into a, into a state after just railing against California and all of its regulatory stuff when it came to, to COVID and the shutdowns and, you know, California's driving companies out. And then he, you know, builds this huge factory 
uh, in Texas, and then the regulatory system in that 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 uh, that state won't allow him to sell the actual thing he builds in that state. Obviously, Tesla is not the only company that's going to be affected by this. A lot of the other EV startups like Rivian, Lucid, and and others are going to have the same issue because they want to sell directly. And I mean, there's this whole argument about you know franchise dealers versus direct sales. Uh, and I think that there's actually, you know, for a lot of people, there's actually a lot of benefit to having a you know franchise dealer system. You know, as much as people complain about the the purchase process from dealers, you know, and trying to be upsold all the time, there there are advantages, you know, both from a business perspective and you know, and from a consumer perspective, because you can have a lot more outlets. You know, a lot easier to you know to get sales and service than it is you know with the with Tesla's, um, you know, much more limited network of stores, you know, in, in about 30 odd states. So, you know, I, I think that it's it's past time for states to start repealing some of these franchise laws that they have. Uh, you know, I think that it's probably not I think it's not unreasonable to, um, you know, to say that, OK, for a manufacturer that already has franchise dealers, you know, maybe you can't sell direct to consumers and compete with those franchisees because, you know, those franchisees are independent businesses. They invest a lot of money yeah. in their stores, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the in the real estate, in the building, the, the training of their of their service staff, the parts, tools. And, you know, you don't want to just take that away from them. Um, but, you know, if for a company that doesn't have a competing franchise dealer in the state, you know, let them sell direct. Just yeah. you know, get over it. Yeah. I think I, and you know if I think Volvo has a nice sort of medium like system for that with Volvo uh, care by Volvo because initially it was almost like direct sales and then like a bunch of uh, uh, dealerships got very very upset about that which I understand because you know being a Volvo dealership I'm sure is very expensive um, and so you now you you know you can get your care by Volvo and then you go pick it up at the dealership and then so you have that oh I can take it somewhere to get it fixed and I can take it here to get you know to get uh, things picked up. And, and, and they also gave a, the option to work. If you have, if there's a vehicle and I think on the Volvo lot, you can do a care by Volvo uh, lease program with the vehicle that's on that lot. So, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's a, there's a way to have a happy medium where you have this like almost direct sales where you, you know, you have an app, you load up the app, you figure out what you want. You, you say, I want to buy this car. And then you just go to the dealership and pick it up. And then, you know, you can, you have that relationship when you do need, somewhere to service because i think the service issue is is a huge huge issue because if you buy a tesla because teslas are all you know they're all their dealerships all their service centers are owned by tesla they can't they don't have the really wide network if you live 300 miles from a tesla you know service center you can either wait someone maybe to drive to your house and fix your car and then they get there and they're like oh yeah i can't fix this and then they leave and now what do you do i don't i don't have the parts for this yeah, you know, i'll have to come so back well. next week yeah so i think there's i think there's a there's, there's a there's a nice happy medium that can be that can be done with with this system, but it, it it requires like both both parties to sort of budget a little and allow, you know, change and and allow people to buy things the way they want to buy them. Some people like going to dealerships. I personally do not, but uh, yeah. I think that's insane. Those well, are crazy and, and, people. Yeah. And now you know, over the last year, you know, through the pandemic, we've started to see some hybrid models develop. You know, where you know dealers are doing a lot more of the stuff online, you know, a lot more of the purchase process online. And we'll, we'll we've got a listener question later that we'll, we'll get to um, where this ties in as well. But the, 
you know, being able to do your shopping online and, you know, have, you know, have them deliver the vehicle to you, you know, and, or, you know, and then take it, pick, come pick it up when you need service. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of advantages to that or, you know, like what GM's doing, you know, as they start to launch their EVs with, with Hummer, you know, you will, they're working with their dealers. And so the dealer will actually take care of the actual final transaction, but the whole pr- process of shopping and purchasing will happen online and you pick a dealer. And this is what Ford also did with the, the Mach-E, you know, where you order it online and during the order process, you select your local dealer where you will take delivery and, you know, they'll handle the service and everything. So I think that there's, you know, there's some in between here, you know, where you can have hopefully the best of both worlds. Yeah. I feel like that should have been part of the negotiation <laughs> of putting a giant factory <laughs> Well, I, I think it actually was, you know, they, I think they, they talked about that. But unfortunately, the, the way the, the Texas legislature works, um, you know, the Texas Constitution limits the legislature to only being in session for no more than 140 days out of every two years. This is ridiculous, which is and, the most you know, insane thing I've ever heard. Weird and arbitrary. Yeah. Right. And, you know, they're actually coming up on their limit, like I think it might be this weekend. Um, and of course they couldn't deal with the Tesla problem because they had to go, they had, they had to rush to, uh, put some voter suppression laws in place yeah. instead. That was, that was far more important to keeping Republicans in, in, in power. But instead of jobs, anyway. we got to make sure that people, instead of jobs for regular people, we got to make sure that these elected officials keep their jobs. So exactly. A few months ago, uh, Lotus announced that they were going to end production of the Elise and its assorted variants, the Exige and the Evora, this year as they start to um, start production of their next new model, which the name escapes me at the moment. But they're going to be they're they're going to be starting production of their last internal combustion sports car uh, later this fall, and so the all the tooling. To build the Lotus Elise, uh, which served as the the basis for the chassis of the original Tesla Roadster, among other things, uh, is for sale. You can buy it. And uh, this is not the first time that Lotus has done this. Um, Going back to the early 70s, when they decided to stop building the Lotus 7, they sold off the tooling to Caterham, who continues to build that car to this very day. Um, And then in the early 90s, when they canceled the M100 Elan, they sold that tooling to Kia and Kia shipped all the equipment over to South Korea and continued to build the Elan for a few more years. They built, I think, about a thousand or so in Korea before they finally gave up on it as well. So now the uh, the Lotus Elise tooling is for sale. Anybody want to buy it? I, sure. I checked my pockets. I don't have quite enough money for the tooling. Also, I, I What if I give you a couple of dollars? I have like a $5 bill, I'm sure. Would that I, put I, you over the edge? I'm looking, I can kick in 50 bucks. All right. Well, hey, I'm looking in my backyard and there's a big swath of land that I have at the bottom of a, of a hill. That's There's nothing there. It's, it's it, like I don't have it fenced in. It's mostly just like deer that like hang out down there and just, you know. So we could set it up there just, in your backyard. It's deer and, yeah. it's deer and ticks. And so I, as there long as go. the deer can still like hang out, I'm cool with the deer. I'm not cool with the ticks. Um, yeah, we could just, I could just start making, building the leases. I'm sure the neighbors would be totally cool with it too. They wouldn't care at all. They'd love to have that in their backyard. All right. It's a deal. One a month. We'll, we'll, we'll put it in our bed tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> put it, I'll just run, a, I'll run an extension cord from my house down that hill. That'd be fine. 
And uh, finally, um, some sad news from Mazda. The Mazda 6 is going away from the U.S. market, uh, as is the CX-3, which I'm less upset about. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to miss the 6. Um, they, uh, you know, the sales have been declining. The CX-3 was, you know, it was going to be going away anyway once they launched the CX-30. Yeah. Because uh, it, it, the CX-3 never sold as well here. It's too small for the U.S. market. But uh, seeing the 6, the six sedan is is kind of sad. Um, I I always liked that car. Love love the way it looks and and really like the way it drives. I think most of us liked it. I just don't think you know regular people want a sedan so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, that is the case. I think it's you know, yeah. when you're when you're going up against like say the Accord, it's a tough. That's a tough battle. Yeah, the Accord and the Camry and the, and the Camry, Altima. Yeah, those are those are those are tough. That's that's a tough battle. I mean, it's you know I'm sad that a sedan's going away. Um, anytime a sedan dies, a, an angel loses its wings. So look what you've done, people. <laughs> look what you've done. An angel just stopped flying. Oh, bump. Bump. He's just crawling around All on the right. floor now. So uh, while, while we're talking about sedans, um, let's get into listeners' questions. Um, Bryn Barenhausen um, sent one in. said, uh, are we seeing the slow decline of Honda? Hate to say it, but they're falling way behind Hyundai and Kia on multiple fronts. Hybrid electric powertrains, design, both interior and exterior, and tech. They may have some loyalists, but can can they can they compete for new drivers? What do you guys think? I I you know what I kind of agree with. Okay, so I sort of agree, then also disagree. So how's that? I think they have a more nuanced. Mm-hmm. I think Kia, uh, the Kia Hyundai, have been killing it, especially on the hybrid, especially especially on the electric front. Like they, they like everything that, that that Kia and Hyundai have been doing with electric vehicles was something that you would have expected Honda to do already. I, I think Honda of the '90s, Honda of the early 2000s, they would have been at the forefront of this. I think Honda now is, seems like, uh, um, and you know the interior of a of a Kia, you know that Ridgeline I have, the infotainment system is is ridiculously bad. It's just it feels like a, a, the very first Android tablet you may have purchased. Way back in the day, it's just, it is just, it is, it is. You, you realize it is still running Android 5.0 exactly under the Yeah, it is. It is, it, it, you are, you, you are, it is essentially begging you to plug your phone in because you do not want to even look at this. Um, yeah. And so I think that, that, that's going to hurt Honda in the very long run if they don't sort of get it together on that turn because people who are buying cars as, as, as younger people start buying cars, they're, 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 they're expecting something. They're expecting a, a level of technology in a vehicle that, um, at least in the infotainment wise and electric wise, um, Honda is not delivering. That said, it's, 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 it's super hard to beat Honda quality. You, you every Honda you get in the car, you close that door. You're like, yeah, this is why you buy a Honda. You just that door close. I, I- I totally agree with you. That's the thing. I, I everything you said, but it comes down to is like if you want a car that you know it's going to be solid and stable and hold up, and probably you're just gonna finally get rid of it because you're just I want a new car. I'm tired of this one. <laughs> like it's not that there's anything wrong with it. They couldn't keep running for another fifty years. Yeah. You buy a Honda. They just keep going and they do exactly what they're supposed to do, and they they are reliable. And that hasn't changed. I guess that's a good thing that hasn't changed. But yeah, on the tech front. They do feel you wonder at what point that will there. Where's the tipping point there where the despite the reliability that the infotainment is so meh 
that people are like, forget it. I will take a less reliable vehicle if I can just have infotainment that feels like it's from today. Yeah, I feel like the, the coolest thing Honda has done in the last few years is the Honda E, um, which they won't bring to the United States. And me meanwhile, the Ionic 5 is coming. And I'm like, well, the, I I the Ionic 5 is what the Honda E could have been. Um, and, right. you, you know, that, that I'm excited about the Ionic 5. I'm very excited about the Ionic 5. I haven't driven the Ionic 5. I shouldn't be excited about a car I haven't driven yet. <laughs> Um, yeah. But on, on paper, it looks really, really promising. Yes. Yes. So I think, you know, I think Honda's, you know, they're, they're working with GM um, for an EV. So we'll eventually get some. Two of them. Two of them. So we'll eventually get some EVs from them. You know, they're sort of slow to that game, you know, when it comes to that stuff. They're a very conservative company. I don't think the average person realizes Honda and Toyota are super conservative. They're going to, they're going to, to, to squeeze every last bit of money out of, whatever they're doing, a platform or, or whatever, uh, a really old infotainment system, because they can kind of coast on that reliability thing. And when people ask me, like, well, I want a car and I want this and I want this and I want this. And then, you know, you, you kind of want to give them the, the, you know, the Mazda, the, you know, the, the, the CX-5. But at the same time, you're like, you know what, get the CRV or the RAV4, because you know it's going to last until they don't want it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think somewhere there's somebody at Honda that's saying, okay, we got this reliability thing and it's going to keep us going for a while. And there's no, no questions, no problems, no comment complaints. Like the reliability is rocking. How far, like you said, how far can we make this, this infotainment, this tech we have work before suddenly. And someone's like, okay, we got X number of years, guys in X years, we've got to come out with something that's going to knock it out of the park. Cause whatever that is, we're going to keep that for the next 15 years. So we need, yeah. you know, like whatever the next iteration is, I would think would be sort of like a significant leap forward mm -hmm. to, to bring them up. And then I bet they'll just kind of, okay, now hold here for a while until we have to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we own a, a 2017 civic hatchback and we love it. Yeah. And in the four years we've had it, you know, it has, the, it has never had to go in for any unscheduled service. The only thing we've had to do is oil changes and tire rotations. It's, it's never, it has not had a single thing go wrong with it in that four years. Uh, and, you know, that's not something I could say for the, the previous two cars that we had before that, you know, and they, you know, they were built by a, a, a German brand. So, you know, you're, you're right, Robbie. You know, this, these thing, this thing has been dead reliable. Our daughter, our older daughter, had a, a 2008 Honda Fit that she got, you know, right when, right after she got her driver's license when she was 16. She finally got rid of that car uh, about two months ago. You know, she she drove it for you know 13 years and you know never had any problems with it. It was great. You know, finally got rid of it and got something a little newer. I had a I had a, a Honda Civic, a ninety Honda Civic about ninety two for fifteen or seventeen years. And the only thing I, I broke the timing chain, the timing belt, because I didn't change it. That's yeah. And and I had a I had a and I, and at a hundred and sixty thousand miles I had to swap out the clutch. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, that's, that's a wear item, you <laughs> yeah. know, 160,000 miles. Yeah, so the clutch, you know, there's like these, like these weird little wear wear items. Um, and it's just this thing. I, I ran it out of oil a few times. It just kept going. Yeah. <laughs> like the oil light would come on. I'm like, oh, where the hell am I? Why don't I have the oil? <laughs> it had a slow leak on the oil gasket, and I never, ever fixed it. <laughs> Because it was like, I was just like, not a like, problem. I can work with this. I got this. this. <laughs> I, I, we're, we're good. We're cool. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, but, and you hear, but Honda, 
Honda does need to do more on the electrification front, I think, besides just fuel cells. That's not going to be enough. Yeah, the, the Clarity line was, was sort of a weird... The fact that they brought us Clarity, the three Clarity vehicles, but won't give us the Honda E was just... I'm like, these aren't... Okay. Odd decision, yeah, but... but... you know, I mean, I, I can't... I can't blame them. You know, I think that the Honda, you know, while there are enthusiasts who would love to have the Honda E in the U.S. market, I don't really see it as something that would sell in enough volume to justify bringing it here. I think it would have been like you a know, weird as, little halo uh, vehicle is yeah. you know, like, like, they, like Actually, the NSX, it, it, you know, like the accurate NSX. Yes. Like they're not going to yeah. sell a lot of NSXs. They put a lot of money into it. Um, you know, I think the same thing. Uh, I think maybe they would have sold 20,000 units, which would, would have been fine. But people would have looked at it. They would have talked about it. They would have had, you know, and, and it would have changed that sort of idea that Honda is behind on, on EVs. That's exactly it. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter really how many they would have sold in the end. It would have been the perception that they're, they're moving in a direction that there's not a perception they're moving right yeah. now. Yeah. That would have been, it would have been worth it possibly just for that. All right. Um, let's see. Next up, uh, Jeff Curtis asks, how likely is it that the government will reinstate or raise federal tax credits for Teslas? Uh, also heard about an increase uh, to $12,500. So I think, I think Congress will do something to bring in, you know, that's part of the proposal, you know, the, the infrastructure proposal from the Biden administration. I think Congress will ultimately do some sort of new incentives, uh, revised incentive program for EVs. I think that this proposal that came out of a Senate committee this week for you know a twelve thousand five hundred dollar tax credit is nuts. I think they I think they need to get away from the tax credit thing and just do a point of sale rebate because you know especially for you know lower to middle income customers, you know a lot of them are not even going to be able to take advantage of a tax credit that big. The only ones that are going to be able to get get the full twelve and a half thousand dollars are higher income people. And they don't really need that tax break. Yeah, it it should be a a point of sale rebate. And I also think that the the incentive should be um, based on a cap on the the purchase price of the vehicle, like maybe fifty thousand dollars or less. So, you know, I I think that there's no reason that anybody that can afford a hundred thousand dollar car, you know, like a, a Hummer EV or a Model S or Model X should they don't they don't need a tax break you know they they can well, afford so it much about it, i mean they might not need a tax break i mean if they can afford a fifty thousand dollar car but if you're contemplating whether or not you want to make the move to an ev in a different point of view not so much just like oh they don't need the money they're already making a lot of money they can afford it but if it encourages people to move towards evs the more you see on the road the more you accept that as being a viable mode of transportation and i think it does something to moving to getting people to switch to EVs. But I think, you know, for, especially for the more premium vehicles, I, you know, I don't know that seeing a few more of those on the road is going to be that big a help. I think it would be, I think it would be more of a help to see a lot more mainstream vehicles, um, mainstream EVs, you know, in the 30 to $45,000 price range, you know, Ionic fives, Kia EV sixes, Honda or Kia VW ID fours, you know, and, and whatever else comes out. I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff coming, uh, you know, making those cars more affordable, I think would have a bigger impact in terms of getting more unit volumes out there. Yeah. I think uh, New York and California both have a cap on the, 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 the state um, tax incentive. I think it's $60,000. Um, but I, you know, I, yeah, the, the, the sort of point of sale, like, you know, tax, ba- tax rebate or, or, or I'm sorry, cash back or whatever. I think that's, 
that's a bit more exciting for for folks who are who are looking to buy these vehicles um because you go in you're like oh i'm gonna get this much money back and you're like oh no 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 hold on let me tell you how about how this works and then it becomes this like oh okay and when when you when you may add complexity to a system like this it's it's sort of Especially when you when you when you're dangling twelve thousand five hundred and and you know that's based on you know they're gonna keep the seventy five hundred then you get twenty five hundred more if the car is built in the United States and an additional twenty five hundred dollars more if the car is union made which I'm like hey cool you know building you built in the U S and union made you know that gives uh, you know these uh, uh, an incentive for 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 union go union um, but yeah it needs to be some I think they need to change it from from a tax credit to we're going to take this much money off this car when you buy it at the lot. When I go and buy. Yeah, that would definitely. I agree that that would definitely be easier. Forget all these rebates. Just say you buy an EV. We're going to take X off. Yeah, that would yeah. be much well, easier and, than. And and especially you know, given that, you know, I think a, a large proportion of customers, if not most customers, um, you know, they a big part of their buying decision is based on what is the monthly payment going to be? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they know how much they can afford to pay every month. And, you know, if you've got to go in and, and pay, you know, $45,000 up front for something like, let's say for an Ionic 5, I don't, well, they haven't announced pricing yet, but let's say, you know, as an example, or the ID4, okay, $40,000 $40, for an ID4. And, you know, if the payments on that work out to, let's say $400 a month and you can only afford 300, well, you know, you're going to walk away from that deal and buy, you know, maybe buy a, a Tiguan instead. Whereas, you know, if that's if that rebate is at point of sale, you know, instead of forty thousand dollars, now you're talking thirty two five, you know, or, or thirty or you know whatever it comes out to. And now your monthly payments are something that's in the range you can afford. You're more likely to buy that vehicle. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, you know, because of the way, particularly for Americans, the way Americans tend to buy cars, I think that it's it's more important to ditch the whole tax credit thing and just do point of sale rebates. Yeah, I think I, I, I've talked um, whenever I talk about the ID4, I always I, I try to talk about their their lease deal. It's like three seventy nine for three years and you get three years of free charging with that. And I think that mm -hmm. feels way more compelling because that tax thing sort of like works into the lease way more compelling than the forty thousand dollar price you know price because because you know three years you know it's 45 you know four you know four hundred fifty dollars five hundred dollars a month that's a lot of money especially when you're again you know when when i was uh, uh painfully broke as a as a student i mean i think my tax i think i paid maybe a thousand dollars in taxes and then you know as you sort of work up you know you might not, you know, you, what you're paying taxes might not even come up to twelve thousand five hundred, like you're saying. Maybe it's five thousand. You're like, oh, well, now I just feel like I've I've lost, you know, seven thousand five hundred because I'm not, well, you know, I'm not, I I don't make a lot of money. So it it it's kind of tricky. It's a trick. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and that and that's part of why um, you know leases have been so popular with EV customers over the last you know ten years because um, they you know the leasing companies actually factor that seven, that tax credit in cuz they know they're going to they're going to get the tax credit mm -hmm. so they factor that into the the lease price um you know so you get that monthly payment down and so a lot of people have opted for the leases because they can get those really good deals on it um and they don't have to deal with the hassle of trying to claim the tax credit the following year yeah and also you know, battery technology moves pretty quickly so i i mm -hmm. when people are talking about an EV I'm like look into a lease 
because in three yeah. years, battery 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 uh, technology is going to advance. It might not advance a lot, but it might advance. You know, we might we maybe you know everyone keeps talking it's going to be four or five years from now, but maybe solid state. Maybe someone will have that nut cracked. But you know, everything yeah. moves really quickly. You're going to get that tax credit up front. Um, and then, yeah, if you have a car that, don't, that has 250 miles and in three years, cars are coming out with 500 miles because some some smart student at, at, at Stanford, like, did, I don't know, <laughs> dropped a Coke in, inside of his, his battery and now it makes it work better. I don't know. Oof, that's <laughs> all it took. with Coca-Cola Classic. Turns out it's the real thing. Yeah. Uh, the miracle. A miracle. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's the, yeah, I, I catch up front on the table. Bam. Yep. All right. Next up, Jeff Turner. Um, he had a question about the F-150 Lightning. Uh, said on the podcast, said that vehicle-to-home integration with Sunrun is done through the CCS connector. So that that's the the DC charging connector that's on on most new vehicles, most new EVs. Can you confirm? I've been assuming that they would do this through the uh, the AC seventeen seventy two connector. So when you look at at the the EV charge the charge port on most EVs that are not Teslas, there's two parts to the the charge port there's the original the round part that has five pins in it that's the the sae 1772 connector that's for ac charging so if you're plugging it at home that's what you're going to use and then ccs is the same thing but it adds two more big pins for the direct current fast charging that sit right below it and so what jeff is asking he thought that it was going to use um do the power backup through the only through the the ac connection um, since they already have an, an inverter on board uh, for the outlets on the vehicle. Um, there's a difference between using an onboard inverter with an AC connection versus a DC connection to a stationary inverter in the home. SA is a standard for roaming inverters because the interconnection requirements are more complex. So the answer to the question is they are, in fact, using the DC connection, the direct current connection. So it's drawing power directly from the battery. It's not going through the vehicle's onboard chargers at all. Um, and what Sunrun installs in your in your garage is a smart inverter that is tied into your home um, electrical circuitry um, and and the main uh, power line coming into your home. So it automatically detects if you have a power outage and it automatically switches over and it's drawing DC directly from your battery. It's not going through the inverter in the car. Uh, and, and the truck because it, it's it's more efficient that way, and then it does the it does the AC conversion in that smart inverter unit, um, and that that is the way they're doing it. So it is in fact using the CCS connector. So if you're just a regular person, um, you just plug it in, and it'll work. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the short answer. Yeah, the short answer is if you just plug it in, it'll work. Don't worry about it. But yeah, this is I mean that's great information. Yeah. All right. Last one uh, from Jared uh, says, did you all ever have do the uh, how to test drive a car uh, on the show? And I don't think we ever did. Uh, I think we've kind of dabbled a little bit in it, but I'd like to get get your thoughts from both of you on, um, you know, what are some tips for test driving a car when you're going to purchase? My first tip is to get the salesman not to ride with you. <laughs> get, kick him out of the car. Find some place that will let you just drive the car without the sales guy uh, in the back seat or riding next to you because they tell you things that may not be relevant to you and they're constantly chattering and just have you in the car and whoever you often ride with, whether that's your spouse or your kids in the back seat, put the car seats back there, put everybody in the way you would drive and get the salesman out. So you guys can just drive and 
talk to each other about what you like and what you don't like. That's that's my biggest things for test driving a car. Get rid of the salesman. Yeah. Get him yeah. out. Also, if you have the opportunity, if you have a, a friend or a family member in your life who is really, really into cars and might be a bit of a contrarian, um, try to get that person to go along with you. And don't just do one drive of the car. Try to do like more than one. Do a couple. Come back later. Don't let them like suck you in. Like, well, if you stay here today, there's a guy on the lot who's been looking at this car. There's no guy on the lot looking at that car, by the way. Um, <laughs> or or if, if there is, you know, unless you're buying something that's particularly rare, limited edition, there will there's going to be another gonna, one. Be another one. Yeah. Yeah. And, so bring your like your sort of like car because it's so easy for and, and I think all automotive journalists, we all talk about this. The idea that where someone asks you, hey, would you buy this car or I'm looking for this type of car? And they already have a car in their mind what they're going to buy. Yes. And if you don't say, well, well, nah. if you try to like talk them out of it, they're, they're just like, eh still bring someone with you who will drive the car with you and be like, well, really, is this really what you want? And and then kind of like, kind of, kind of curb your enthusiasm for this vehicle. Um, I think, you know, it's, and, and, and someone who can, who can, you know, pop the engine and, and listen to it and, and tell you if like it needs a valve job or if it's about to throw a rod or if it's like, you know, there's, there's yeah, always, especially for a used car. Yeah. Especially yeah, for, for a used, used car. Um, you know, just, just bring, bring people with you, throw the person out, do multiple test drives. I also think that when you're saying do multiple test drives, if you lose someplace where the weather can be like it is in New England, where you have snow and junk on the road, if you can at all find a way to drive that vehicle in really crummy weather, if your timing works out, like if you're thinking of buying a car a year and a half from now, this winter, go drive it. Yeah. In the winter, like go to the dealership in the winter when it's snowy and say, you know what? I want to take it out when the roads are a little slick so you can see how it actually handles in slick weather. Because sometimes all the gadgetry in the world just doesn't make up for the car. Isn't the right one for you when it snows? Yeah. You know, try and take it out and experience a little bit of the weather that's kind of challenging. I mean, don't take it out in a blizzard and kill yourself, but, you know, take it out when the weather's not perfect and see how it drives. Yeah. And, you know. The most important thing is don't ever let yourself be pressured into anything by a salesperson. And that's that's one of the good things that came out of the past year is that most dealers now, you know, have programs where, you know, for test drives, you know, they can deliver a car to you and you can take it for a test drive, deliver it to your home and, you know, try to, you know, expanding on what Nicole just said about, um, you know, the weather, just in general, try to drive it in the same kind of environment that you're going to drive in. If you have a regular uh, highway commute, you know, 30 or 40 mile highway commute, take it out on the highway for, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour as part of the drive. Make sure you drive it in the same kinds of conditions that you do. Or if it's urban stop and go, same thing, you know, you on the highway, you want to look for things like wind noise and road noise because those things and really try to pay attention to those things because they, they don't, uh, you know, on a, on a 20 minute test drive, they may not bother you that much, but six months down the road, when you're experiencing this every day, it will start to grate on you if it's something that annoys you. So really, really think about those things, you know, like, like take it, you know, toss your keys, your key and your wallet and whatever else you carry with you. Where would you put it in this car? Don't just walk yeah. in, you know, with carry the stuff. If you're always carrying certain stuff that you bring it with you, where the heck are you going to put it? Like live in that car, the way you live with your own car. And I can't, I can't emphasize enough. If you've have kids, get those kids in the car. I know the sales, some sales guys cringe at the thought. I've, I remember when my girls were little, like, 
uh, you're putting your, you know, dirty, sticky finger kids in there. Yeah, because I'm going to buy this expensive vehicle. If I can't get my kids in their car seat in that back of that car and not feel like I whack my head on the door frame because the angle of it is just wrong with my kid in my car seat, like try it out with your kids, especially if the kids are little, because you're going to have to get in and out of that door. If it doesn't open wide, you're going to have to be the one to finagle getting them buckled. If they're at a point where they buckle or just, you know, getting them into the car seat, that makes a big difference. And again, it's one of those things you think, Oh, whatever, I'll get used to it. No, it'll drive you Nuts it gets worse if it doesn't work the way you want. Yeah, yeah. It, it gets worse the longer you have to deal with it. <laughs> and and if you're you know, if you're getting a three row SUV and you plan to use that third row, use it. Like, try try it. it out. See if you can actually get in and out of there. Even if you're thinking you're going to put kids back there, same thing. It seems like a great idea, but if your kids can't get back there by themselves and you have to get the kids back there, you might have to be a contortionist. So make sure you check this carefully to see how easy it is, even for little kiddos, to get in there and buckle themselves in if they're at a point where they can do that. Yeah, and don't don't let them upsell you on stupid things and don't let them use weird, fuzzy math and always be willing to walk away. Just be willing yes. to, because there's a, to, there's a lot of dealers out there and they all want your money. So if you. They tried to get my daughter to spend extra money recently when she purchased her first car to have it simonized because cars <laughs> aren't built like they used to be. I don't even know what that means. I kid you. It's like this undercoat. <laughs> They're built way better than they used yeah. to be. Know, he literally said, I, I laughed out loud. I went, oh, what? Simonized? He's like, oh, yeah. Do you know what? That? I'm like, I know what that is. I just haven't seen anybody put it on a car since 1975. <laughs> what the heck, dude? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've seen the, the I've had people that they've did a thing where they put um, the etch numbers onto the windshield and they're like, oh, this is a $500 thing. We're etching numbers. So if your car gets stolen, we can, it'll be easier to find. And we're like, I'm like, if the car gets stolen, I don't care because I have insurance. The car gets stolen, disappears. <laughs> oh, well, that's the end of that. <laughs> That's why you have insurance. (laughs) Cars get stolen. They tend to go straight to a chop shop anyway. Yeah. Right. And that's not going to matter that you have a number etched on the windshield. that's no longer attached to your car. The cops are like, hold on. (laughs) Is the number on that windshield? (laughs) No, there's a lot of ridiculous, you know, the the internet is your friend. Do a lot of research. Find out exactly what you want. Um, You're not in a hurry unless you are. You know, sometimes you have to buy a car right away because of a new job or whatever. But most of the time you're not in a hurry. You know, take a take a month, take two months, take six months. You know, maybe drive the car you think you want to buy six months before you buy it because cars don't new cars especially don't change after a refresh or a new version for a couple of years. So you have you have time. Right. Take the time. It's yeah, a, it's my, a my, huge. My, it's a, my daughter, my daughter spent over a year going back and forth over what she wanted to buy and fi- finally ended up buying what she originally wanted after going through a whole bunch of other, you know, changing her mind multiple times over what, you know, what she wanted to get, you know, we, and back in December, we went out one day, went, went to a Hyundai dealer, a Mazda dealer and a Kia dealer to drive, um, you know, uh, the Ionic hybrid, a Mazda CX 30 and a Kia Seltos. And, you know, she was going to go for the Mazda and then changed her mind and finally ended up buying a Toyota 86, which is what she wanted in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> But it's worth it to go through all those iterations because then if you buy something, especially if you yeah. don't know much about cars or haven't driven a lot, you're thinking, oh, that one looks like something. Oh, what if I like that better? Well, go drive it. Go figure it out first. Go take it for some test drives. You Sometimes you love them right off the bat. Sometimes you hate them. Maybe you need to go back and drive what you drove the first time and go back. It just, yeah, don't feel pressured and, and drive everything that you think you might want to buy and walk away. If it, Not even if it's just like, 
the deal. If the dealership sets you off the wrong way, if the salesman is this creepy, sleazy, just walk away. There's yeah, a million it's your, dealerships. It's your money. That sell. Yeah. yeah, and you're, you're going to find, it's not like there's one Nissan dealership and that's it, or one <laughs> Jeep dealership. Go find another one. There's probably another one five minutes away, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the weird money thing, I, I, a couple of times when I've, I've gone, I either bought, purchased a car or gone with someone to buy a car, it's the, the numbers guy comes in. I'm like, I, we only want to pay, oh, he's we terrible. only want to pay $300 a month. Well, if you look at the gas and the maintenance cost, you know, you're paying 350 oh my God. but it's like really three like and you just have to like sit there and look at this person and say i want to pay 300 dollars a month well and you just have to keep saying what you want and if they if they, again if they're pressuring you just walk out and you can go to another dealership said, and say hey they did all this stuff to me and they're going to be like yeah those guys are the worst and they're going to try their hardest not to do those creepy things they'll try to do other sleazy things but they won't do those ones and, and chances are as long as you didn't make an offer that is you know absurdly low if you walk away You'll probably get a call a couple hours later or a day later saying, hey, are you still interested in that car? I think we can do a, I think we can do a deal for you. A call, you'll get 180 oh, yeah. calls. Like, well, it won't yeah. stop. You'll get a call. You'll get a text. They'll put up, like, a plane with a banner. Hey, Nicole, are you, are you still interested in that car? Like, <laughs> it, they're going to make sure they come back to you. I, I, I went to a dealer. We wanted to buy a Honda Civic hatchback that's what we wanted and we went in they're like oh we don't have it but we have this or we have this and we have well we have this one but it's this year and we have this and this and finally it's like all right well, we're just going to leave and suddenly they found the right the the, the the correct generation of honda civic hatchback that we wanted at the price we wanted and it was just like why did you why did we go you just wasted everyone's time including yours you could have sold two cars in the time that you spent two right. hours trying to talk me into buying you know something else yeah, that's that's the kind of nonsense that makes people hate dealers. You know, but if it you is. can if you can find a dealer that doesn't do that sort of thing, and, and they are out there, you'll you'll be a lot yeah. better off. Search for the one that you feel right at. Go with a dealership that feels right for you. Even if your friends recommend another one, you walk into it, you hate it. Find another one. Go someplace where you like the people you're spending all your money with. Yeah. Yep. It, all right. I think that's enough for uh, for this week. Um, anything? Uh, any last thoughts you guys want to share this week? No, uh, I have no other thoughts. I need coffee. That's my thought right now. So. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, if you if you like the show, make sure you uh, please give us a rating on uh, Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where they have podcast ratings to help people find us. And and we'll see you next week. Bye bye bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.